0: 2 Corinthians, chapter 8, verse 10. I will read this passage This is a, as, as a one of these places where we're like, Paul, why do you write the way you write? This is difficult. Um, but we'll make it through it, and we'll study it together. And we come to the Word, not as those who would judge the Word, but those that would be judged by it. And we recognize that the Lord inspired this text for the good of his people, and we're here to receive good things from a good father. So Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 10. And in this I give advice. It is your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it, That as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what one does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God, who put the same earnest desire, or sorry, care for you into the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. And we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself, and to show your ready mind. Avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered by us, providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Therefore, show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your church, which is called the glory of Christ here. We thank you for letting us be a part of this thing that glorifies Christ, that is the visible glory of Christ. We pray that we would be faithful, um, not only with our time here as we give you our attention and our willingness, but that uh, just as Paul encourages the Corinthians, that our willingness would lead to a completion, that we would... Uh, not just have good intentions of obedience, but that you would bless us with the strength for follow-through. Uh, so we're, we're here to be taught. Teach us, Lord. Holy Spirit, speak to your church. Give us ears to hear where you would lead us, what you would have us do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This is the, our second week in chapter 8, um, and chapter 8 is all about um, this specific act of giving that the Corinthians were involved in. And chapter 9 is going to continue in the same vein, just so you know what's on deck. Uh, which means that I'm talking more about giving now than I have in all 12 years of preaching, just right now. You, you came at a, a great time, three weeks in a row. It's great. But, but this is what you get when you teach through books of the Bible, which is what we love to do here, and we're really happy to come to these passages that we may not choose if we were just you know, picking the, the favorite verses or something. We just go through and, and see what we get. So Paul writes this. He says, I'm going to go back to verse 10 and read a little chunk here. It says, and in this I give advice... It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it, that there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. He says, you need to finish what you started. It was great that you wanted to do this great thing, but you actually have to do it instead of just want to do it. Um, Paul had said in verse 8, you can kind of scan back on on the Bible page there, in verse 8, that he was putting the Corinthians to a test. He did this by telling them how God had blessed the churches of Macedonia with the grace to give. He had blessed them with this grace of generosity where they cared for those in need. And we talked last week about how a test, often in scripture, is something that is given so that you can go on to the next grade. Okay, It's your final project so that you can complete a course of study. And now this particular course of study, this thing that Paul's been teaching the Corinthians about, maybe generosity and giving, it's been at least a year in the making. We have a pretty good idea about what it was they started to do a year prior that Paul is saying, okay, you need to wrap it up now. It's like you had good ideas a year ago, maybe actually follow through with some of them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16... Paul had given instructions to the Corinthians on how to take up a collection, kind of a special offering, a special giving you know, offering, on Sunday, and then they would take that gift and then send it to the poor Christians in Jerusalem, uh, where the churches there were at the center of persecution at the time. They were very poor, persecuted, in dire need. This is probably the things that they were desiring to do a year ago. In all the corrections given in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, Paul does not reprimand them for stinginess. Uh, As far as we can tell, in verse 11 in our chapter bears this out, there was a willingness to give. Uh, There was a a desire even to care for the poor that is commendable. It's a good thing. He didn't have to argue argue with them about the theory of caring for the poor. You know, they weren't saying, no, we don't believe that's God's will. We don't think he really wants us to care for... They were willing, in theory... But there was a disconnect between willingness and follow-through. And only one of those things equals obedience. They they were at risk of becoming kind of like the seed that falls on the rocky soil that springs up, that's got all the enthusiasm saying, you know, yay, Christianity, go church, go. And there's no staying power. When the need became known about the churches in Jerusalem, they needed help. They're starving. They need you to go give them some money so that they can buy food so they it's for their survival the corinthians are like absolutely we agree that someone ought to do something we even believe that it might be one of us they might even get excited about how they were going to help and then they figure that thinking about that plan was probably enough work for one day i'm gonna go take a nap you know like that's there's never the follow-through this happens with every kind of you know crisis, whether local, national, you know, international, whatever. You know, there's the there's the uh, the peak in public awareness of the thing that has to be done, and everyone's like, "Well, I gotta do something," but then it's easier to just kind of let it slide and it falls out of you know goes out of mind, and you're like, "Yeah, but I, I never did anything," and that's probably okay. It probably just wasn't the Lord's will for me to do anything because it's not on the news anymore, you know. And that that's the the argument that we we argue with ourselves, to avoid giving. Um, But I like Paul's encouragement here. He says, you were were ready. You were ready to desire it. You were willing. As there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. This is a very obvious statement. Hey, guys, just like you wanted to do the good thing, you should. You should do it. You should actually do it instead of just talk about it. It's not enough to just wish for action. It's not enough to be generally willing in a vague kind of way that never results in you actually doing any kind of service. I mean, I suppose that would be better than holding fast to an unwillingness and having your prayers, you know, every morning saying, Our Father who art in heaven, I don't want to do things your way and I'm not gonna. Like, that would be worse, of course, okay? But most of us aren't there. We're generally willing, kind of nebulously just vague, like, I would do, if he asked me to do something, I would probably do it. We can easily deceive ourselves and believe that a kind of willingness is the same thing as actual obedience to commands given. It seems like maybe the Corinthians did this. What does it look like? It looks like telling ourselves, I would do what the Lord asked. I mean, if he tells me to do a certain ministry specifically, I'd do it. Preferably with writing in the sky. Um... Uh, dreams and visions, that's fine. Just give him, send him out. I'd be happy to. And he knows. He can check on me anytime. He knows where to find me. Hey, that's not how any of this works. That is not how any bit of Christianity works or, follow, or hearing the voice of the Lord or following his will. I think there are many, if not most, Christians who are convinced in their own minds that they would be willing, in theory, to go wherever the Lord called them. They hope it's nowhere icky, but they would probably be generally willing to go. And if God put a person right smack in front of you who said, please tell me about Jesus, what must I do to be saved? They might be willing to do a bit of evangelism in that situation. But that kind of willingness is not the same as active obedience to the commands of God to go and preach the gospel or the command to love your neighbor or the command to care for the poor or commands to confess and forsake sin. These are things that are already commanded. Now, the Corinthians are in a scenario where something had been commanded, but also they made it to the next step where they were happy about it. God had put a burden on their hearts to serve in a certain capacity. And God will give individuals or even individual churches callings and burdens and things stir them up to get them excited about doing the ministry. And they got that far. They were eager about doing the collection for Jerusalem and they were going to do it. And they just never did. And do you see the difference between the kind of willingness without follow through and active obedience where you are pursuing act, you know the, the actual commands of God or the burden that he's placed on your heart? There's a big difference between the person who goes and gives to the poor and feeds the hungry and cares for orphans and widows and on the other hand, the person who believes with all their heart that those people should be cared for probably by someone else. Like, those are two different kinds of people, and it's easier to be one of them. There's a big difference between the person saying, I mean, I guess I could, God could, if he wanted to, he could call me as, like, a missionary or something to Africa. That's the vague general thing, right? You know, Africa. Um, but but really, the ball's in his court. Like, he could call me anytime. He knows my number. And the person who says, "I" there's a difference between that person and the person who says, I believe that the gospel is supposed to go to the ends of the earth. Either I need to figure out how I can get it there personally, or I need to find out who I can send. One of these things is active obedience. One of these is a realistic response to the words of Christ. The other is clever avoidance. Now, we can all grow. We can all grow in this area of active obedience, okay? And James 2.10 rings loud in the back of your mind, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. It's like, well, guilty. There it is, okay. Another thing to ask for forgiveness for today. Like, we know there's things that we ought to do and we don't, and it's easy to just kind of push it aside. There's places where our godly desires don't actually match up with our behaviors, and we can all improve in this area, but I've got to say something that I really, really admire about our church culture, About this, Calvary Chapel this year, about our church and just the way things kind of happen. If you've been here for any length of time, I'm guessing you've noticed this too. It may have irritated you. I don't know, but I love it. Um, There's an attitude in your church of trying things and seeing what happens. And you are people who throws stuff up on the wall to see what sticks. And I love it. I don't know where you got it from, but I like it. That readiness to desire the good work. Hey, there's someone, we got to do something about this. We should probably do something. That desire in you people, it's strong. But what's best is that you it's usually followed up by a completion. We're going to try this. We're going to try it. We're going see to what, see what works. Just like Paul talks about here, just so that way he's encouraging the Corinthians in. A lot of you guys are already there, honestly. Praise the Lord. This is what it looks like. Someone in the church has an idea or becomes aware of a need. They they may talk to friends about it. They pray about it. They may or may not ever mention it to me. And then they try to do something about it. And there's a readiness to desire, and it usually it doesn't stop there. Uh, the, the thing that comes uh, to mind quickest in the recent months is this gleanings ministry that we have here. This is the result of people saying, hey, giving people food, it's a good thing, kind of fun, let's try it. And actually, to explain how that came about, you have to go uh, you know, a year f- further in the past to see another try-and-see-what-sticks moment. We tried to do a community meal and outreach last Christmas. Actually, when I say we, I mean you, because I had nothing to do with that. I was gone. I was out of the state, and it was great. And so we were just trying something. Let's try something. It didn't work out. It got canceled because of weather, and we had all this food. And it was so much fun giving it away. We just wanted to do it more. And we tried something, trusting the Lord, seeking his favor. Plan A got struck down. Plan B has proved to be a ministry that the Lord has blessed. Now, it would be very easy to just say, I like the idea of a food ministry in general um, if you do it right. But, you know, I've seen it done wrong. And sometimes you can do it wrong. I think I'll go take a nap. Okay, <laughs> a second nap illustration today may, might not be the last. Okay, I think a lot of ministries die at that stage, right? It's like we should do, someone should, it's good that in theory, ah, you know what though? I've seen it go wrong and there's a lot of, maybe we shouldn't, I'll go take a nap. That's where ministries die. Paul is telling the Corinthians, you had a great idea. You started out so well. You had this readiness and this desire and that's good. It's really not good enough though. You have to carry that idea to the end. Now, the specific thing Paul's talking about is giving a financial gift to the impoverished, persecuted church in Jerusalem. But I don't think it would be out of place for us to realize that there are applications beyond that specific scenario. Uh, It's not a bad idea or a misuse of the text to consider where the disconnect is between your desires, your readiness, the burdens that the Lord has at one point in time placed on your heart, and the things that you're actually involved in accomplishing. I'm asking you to consider what desires God has placed on your heart that you have relegated to the realm of other people will take care of that, or maybe I'll get around to serving in that capacity when my life slows down. I believe the Holy Spirit, I believe I have evidence for this conviction too, but I believe the Holy Spirit has given those in His church, and our local expression of it, the ideas, the gifts, the capacity Not just to think about ways to serve and give, but to actually do the things that we're called to do. So I'll ask again, examine your heart and search for the things that God has placed there, the desires, the ideas for service that used to excite you. Then for some reason, God just shuffled off to the side. The ideas, see what it would mean to bring these back into the presence of the Lord for him to examine them. Maybe put them back into motion. And now to tie it back to the context of our chapter, look to see if your willingness to be a generous person has not been stunted in the same way as the Corinthians, where there's a willingness but not the follow through. And the willingness is a good start. Verse 12, it says, For there is first a willing mind. Uh, for if, sorry, there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he doesn't have. Keep reading. Uh, verse 13 says, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality, as it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, he who gathered little had no lack. Uh, this is a, a good explanation, and the, the following passages, what stuff we'll get into next week, it'll help with this too, but it, there's a good explanation in these, these verses that will save us from being victims of any kind of predatory fundraising <laughs> that can, unfortunately, exist. Uh, the point, according to Paul, is not to give what you don't have. Give all, it hurts. You know, it's not nece- donating to ministries and putting it on the credit card is not what he a- has in mind here. You know, nor is it the point just to make rich Corinthians poor because it's more holy to be poor. You know. So that the rich, or sorry, the poor people in Jerusalem can quit their jobs and retire early. Like, that's not the idea of Christian giving, fundraising, supporting ministries, anything like that. What he wants to see in the churches is a care between these members of the body of Christ, these two churches, one in Corinth, one in Jerusalem. He wants that family dynamic to be evident where these churches are reflecting Christ's command to love one another where the church is is obeying Christ's command on the servant, Sermon on the Mount. What does it say about the guy with two coats? If you've got two coats, your friend has zero coats, there's enough coats to go around. You give him a coat. Right now, the Corinthians had all the coats. And now he, he says that this care can go both ways. That church in Jerusalem has an abundance in things that the Corinthians are lacking in, like maybe spiritual maturity. No, that's mean. I shouldn't say that. But, like, but they, there's probably spiritual gifts. It's probably... Uh, spiritual blessings that he's talking about here. The church in Jerusalem is bringing blessings to Corinth through some non-material means. And this goes back to that kind of strange paradoxical principle of Christian giving, where it's more blessed to give than to receive. So the one who's receiving is actually giving a blessing to the one who's giving to the one who's receiving. It's very confusing. If that's so, then the one who is in need, Jerusalem in this case, is giving to the one who is generous, Corinthians, by giving them an opportunity to reach out and touch Christ as you did it to the least of these my brethren you did it to me the poor who make their needs known and say we need your help brother sister we need your help they are blessing the potential generous person the giver with an opportunity for that person to come into the presence of Christ and minister to him as his hands and feet that's a blessing Paul is saying the blessing stuff goes both ways um Offering someone an opportunity to help may be the kindest thing you can do to that person. This may be very shallow and not the best way to think about what Paul's getting at, but I'm going to try it out anyway. You know when you go to uh, when you show up early because uh, to a friend's house and you're all going to have dinner or something, and you're there and they're getting ready and kind of working hard because you came too early. You know that you've done that, and you see them and they're like kind of and you're like, is there anything I can do? Can I help? Now, the best thing your friend can do in that moment is say, yes, here's these things. Put them over there. Go boil water. Right? If you say, but if they say, if they say, no, you're fine. Please stand still by the door. Watch me suffer. You're probably not very good friends anymore. Um, Or you may, you may never have been very good friends, but that. That's not the, quite the same thing that's happening here, but there are similarities. The Christians in Jerusalem were in need and they were suffering and it would have been a disservice to the other churches, the wealthier churches like Corinth to say, no, 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 we're fine. We got this. You just got, just do your own thing. We'll just suffer over it. It's like, no, I want you to be involved in the work of God in my life right now. And when someone asks you that, when someone comes to you, that there is an honor. You're on holy ground right there. And when Paul says, hey, over there, they need your help. That is a loving welcome to the Corinthians to be a part of the work of God and to have fellowship with his body. The blessings go both ways. Paul may also just be stating that times can change. Right now, you're blessing them. But you guys haven't suffered this level of persecution yet, but you will. Right now, you're taking care of those in need. It may be soon when they're fine and you're the one in need. When one believer is in need, or one church is in need, the body of Christ moves in around them to take care of them, knowing that they'd do the same thing if our positions were reversed. The verse he quotes here in verse 15, it's from Exodus chapter 16, it says, He who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Uh, this is about gathering manna. It's when Israel is in the wilderness, there's no food, they cry out to the Lord, God sends them bread from heaven, they say, what is it? And the name sticks, and that's what manna means. When the people of Israel were in the wilderness, everyone needed food, and God sent everyone enough food. There's an allowance for each individual person for each day. In Exodus chapter 16, verse 16, it says, This is the thing which the Lord had commanded. Let every man gather, gather it according to each one's need, one omer for each person, according to the number of persons, let each man take for those who it, who are in his tent. An omer was a specific measurement. Uh, some places say it was about a quart. Other places say it's more like three quarts. Uh, one official Jewish tradition says an omer is equivalent to 43 chicken eggs. I don't know why they do that. That seems a little, I, yeah, 40, 43 chicken eggs. Um, but it was a known specific measurement. People had their one omer jar, right? And And so what people had, what would happen is, you know, family of eight, their dad would go out and get eight omers of manna per day. A single person living by themselves, they would go and get one omer of manna. So when it says that he who gathered much had nothing left over, he gathered much because he had a big family. And the one who gathered little had no lack because there was enough for that person. It's because every single person gathered the same amount per person that there was enough for everyone, enough to go around. When Paul is encouraging generosity, he references this time in Israel's history where God himself provided for each person exactly what each person needed. All the blessings, all the provisions were and are from God. God is not poor. We read that in the psalm this morning. He has enough for all of his children. We believe this. But the church in Jerusalem, they weren't rich right now. You know, And when, when this was, they, they, they weren't, Doing very well. They were being persecuted. They're hungry. Well, how has God provided for them? He's provided for them from churches like Corinth. By referencing this passage in Exodus, Paul's saying there's enough for everyone here. God has provided sufficient means. Now, he doesn't mention what happens next in Exodus, but by bringing up the story of manna, all the you know kids in Corinth that went to Sunday school would have known the story. Um, the, the Bible scholars in Corinth know, knew what happens next. The command was, eat it, and there's going to be enough. You don't need to put this stuff away for a rainy day. And some people didn't listen to that, and they kept some some extra, maybe, for themselves, thinking, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I need to plan ahead. And it says that the manna bred worms and stank. These are what we would call prudent people who are planning ahead for the next day, and they're saying, "I need a little extra for tomorrow." It's just smart, and and they're planning ahead. And when when there are pressing needs, real needs in the body of Christ after a disaster or whatever, there are those who are almost willing to give, but then they have the very real, wise, prudent thought. But I don't know. I don't think I should give very much until I've saved a bit more for myself because things can happen here as well as there. Now of course there's a need to navigate this with with wisdom as I'm sure you're aware just listening to me talk about this but you have to know that if you want an excuse not to be generous to those who are in dire need you'll find it and this might be the excuse that's most readily available. What Paul is telling the Corinthians is that there's enough to go around and enough of God's faithfulness to go around tomorrow too. If the Lord has blessed you in one area, it is safe to assume he has done this so that you can send those blessings on to another who needs them. If he's given you two coats, to use that example again, you ought to be looking for the guy with no coats, actively pursuing obedience. God has provided enough for all of his people. He has blessed all of his people with everything they need and he intends to get those needs to the people through his people. He intends to bless his people through his people and you are one of his people. Let's read on. In verse 16 it says, But thanks be to God who put the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted the exhortation but being more diligent he went to you of his own accord. Okay, for this you got to go back to verse 6 or listen to last week's sermon or just try and remember it. In verse 6 of this chapter, it says, So we urged Titus, that's the exhortation, that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. Uh, the exhortation that Titus accepted was to go and encourage the Corinthians in this specific grace. The grace that he was completing was this grace of generosity. We talked about that last week. Um, they had started a year ago. Titus went to stir them up and have them complete These things that started out with the best of intentions and kind of fizzled out. So Paul is saying, Praise God for Titus, you know? Praise God for Titus, who was eager to go and remind you of this good work that was started in you, that we're really proud of, by the way, but that just wasn't really finished. Verse 6 says that Paul urged Titus to go, but we see here that Titus was more diligent than that. He went of his own accord. It was like they said, Titus, we really need you to go, uh, we need you to consider doing some ministry with the Corinthians. And Titus says, No, I already bought my ticket. I booked a room on, you know, Corinth Street, I'm going, I'm there. Like, I want them to grow in this grace. So Paul says, praise the Lord for that kind of minister It's going to go to people and be eager about seeing the good work begun in them, finished. Now, Paul is going to be bring up Titus and another guy and talking about how great and upstanding they are because he's recommending that Titus be one who receives the collection from the Corinthians and brings it to Jerusalem. Uh, a guy like that, you'd want to know Uh, that they were trustworthy, that they were, uh, you know, without blame, that they were men of integrity. So Paul is saying, you know, look at how great Titus is. And he mentions this other guy too. I have no idea who he is. Verse 18. We have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. Uh, Or uh, in the ESV, it's a little clearer here. It says, with him, we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. You know, the really famous guy that everyone knows, except us. So there's, There was this famous gospel preacher, a celebrity pastor. And he's so famous that Paul doesn't even mention his name here. Because everyone already knows who he is anyway. We don't. Uh, An interesting tradition is that it's Luke. I like that. I like, well, that could be. Some people knew Apollos was a, a famous preacher, so it could be him. But Paul and Apollos don't do a lot of ministry together that we know of, so it doesn't fit as well. But this guy went with Titus, and he would have been known to the Corinthians. Verse 19 says, and not only that, but who is was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself and to show your ready mind. So this famous gospel preacher is part of the gift delivery system that other churches have chosen. He's been proven. He's trustworthy. He and Titus, they're, you, they're, you can count on these guys. We still don't know his name. But what we do know is what happens when giving like this takes place. We know that the Lord receives glory. That's what it says. The gift, Paul says, is administered, to the glory of the Lord himself. By receiving this generosity from certain churches and giving it to the poor and the needy in other churches, God received glory. It means that the ultimate purpose in this kind of generosity in caring for those in need is to glorify God. The obvious reason for giving, what we think is the main reason for giving, is to fill a temporal need. There are longer lasting effects than that. Uh, the, the filling of the temporal need, yes, that's, that is a need, but it is actually of secondary importance. Glorifying God is always the number one reason for following through on these things. Yes, you care for the person, but we know that this is our worship. Caring for those in need is the way we reach out and touch Jesus. Again, this opportunity to give was itself a gift to the Corinthians. It allowed them to show their ready minds, as it says in verse 19. Opportunity was a gift. Now with all of this, this stuff about collecting money from one church to another, there's risks with this, there's problems, there's red flags that show up in some of the Corinthians for sure. So it's important that Paul introduces the characters, the people that are going to be asking for the money and receiving the money, taking it back to Jerusalem. There's Titus, there's the famous nameless guy, there's Paul, and he says, he's talking about all of this in verse 20 and the following. I read it in the New King James Version at the beginning. I'm going to read it to you now in the ESV, which I think gives a little bit more clarity. In verse 20, says, we take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. Good policy. This is good business. Paul says, we're doing this the right way. We're having multiple people come. It's not just one guy with deep pockets uh, or pockets with holes in them. Maybe um, you know there's. We're having these two people that you know, Titus, this other fellow, and they're going to re- be receiving this gift. And if anyone asks about them, I'm saying that Titus is my partner, fellow worker. If our, you ask about our brethren, these are messengers of the church to the glory, which is the glory of Christ. Um, these are. These are good people, and Paul is explaining this because the right way is to be above reproach, to be blameless. There's a good way of doing things, especially as Christians. And this goes beyond just an official ministry handling money. This is how you do your business and run your life and talk to your neighbors. It's not enough to say, in dealing with these material things or even just deciding how you're going to behave in public, it's not enough to say, well, my conscience is clear before God. It doesn't matter what it looks like to others. After all, we say... We don't want to just do things to appear honest or appear virtuous, virtue signaling. All that matters, all that really should matter is that God knows our hearts. Actually, there are other things that matter. It matters that we have a good testimony to those who are outside. It matters that that there's reason uh, for anyone outside, that there should be no reason, excuse me, for anyone outside to look at us and accuse us of wrongdoing in anything that we do. When Paul says we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, which should go without saying, but also in the sight of men. This is very important. It's important in ministry and missions. It's important in how again you treat your neighbors and how you talk to strangers. What is honorable in the sight of man is something we have to pay attention to as believers. Uh, We might even go so far as to say what the culture we live in deems as appropriate, well, not the end all be all of morality is to be taken into account when we make practical decisions. Now, when I say culture, we think of something really, really sinful right away, and I'm not talking about compromising on moral issues so that we can seem appropriate. That's not what I'm talking about. There's no question that the cross will be an offense to those who are outside. But knowing that we'll be strange and offensive for those reasons, for gospel reasons, we as Christians need to be all the more careful not to be offensive in those other areas of just diligence and honesty and and treating people right and having our speech seasoned with grace. We know that the world will be against us because of our allegiance to Christ, and the world loves darkness more than light. We don't compromise on things like that. Therefore, we don't need to give them any reason to hate us because of our shady business dealings, right? So Paul goes on to say, hey, we're doing things this way so that all of this looks above board because it is to anyone looking. And then he says, These people, Titus and his friend, they're upstanding citizens, they're honorable, and what's more, they care for you. With them we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters. They're good guys. But who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. He's saying these are guys that love you, they are confident in the work of God in your lives. Paul is showing these messengers who are going to be receiving the Corinthians' financial gift. He's saying they have the church's approval. They've been vetted. They're trusted. They care for your souls. You can you can believe that they're the very finest quality people. Verse 24 offers a final appeal. So therefore, show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and our boasting on your behalf by living generously the corinthians would give proof of their love and they would prove paul right in all the nice things he's been saying about them to other people now the charge the application for anyone reading this passage it really just writes itself it walks off the page go and do likewise i know you love the lord i know that you you people this church i know that you love his his people I know that the Holy Spirit has poured out the love of God into your hearts. The Word of God tells me He has done this. I know that as a result that there are lost and hurting and and hungry people in the world that you care for. And I don't doubt that there are desires, that there's a sort of willingness to love these people well. Now to show the proof of that love, what's that look like? Well, I'd encourage you again, to go and pray about that and examine the thoughts, the intentions of your heart, the things that the Lord has stirred there and have maybe lain lain dormant for a long time. Show the proof of your your love. Examine your hearts to see the things that the Lord has stirred in your heart, maybe a year ago, like the Corinthians, or maybe much longer, and realize that the Lord is patient. He doesn't quench smoldering flax or break the bruised reed. The desires of your heart for loving well, for giving generously, for serving faithfully. If these are projects that have been stopped in their tracks, I would just encourage you to bring them before the Lord and ask if it's time that those desires were brought to completion. I find myself in a similar place to Paul here. He's saying, show the proof of our boasting on your behalf. Well, I said some really nice things about you guys this morning. Our church is faithful in trying things and seeing if it works in attempting great things for God. I've said before that our church is faithful in pursuing real Christ-like ministry without waiting for the program or the new series or the manufactured sort of ministry. I'm confident that you are the people of God who can hear from God, who are equipped with ears to hear and hearts that can understand and obey. And I could say a lot of other things, I believe, but I don't want your heads to get too big. But I, I can say this, show it. Show the proof of your love and of my boasting on your behalf. Let's pray. Jesus, you are good, you are kind, and you have provided for us all things pertaining to life and godliness. You provide our needs not according to our faith, but according to your riches and glory, which is so far beyond anything that we could ask, think, or imagine. We worship you, we love you, we pray that our love and our worship would both be more than intentions, desires, and willingness, but that you would develop in us the willingness that would lead to active obedience, pursuing the will of God. We love you, we expect your blessing in these things, in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Please stand. Mm -hmm. Praise Praise God God from from whom all. Blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, the heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Ladies and gentlemen, you are sent.